You may be seated. The Holy City is a, a hymn that was arranged many years ago and has tremendous words to it. The theme behind it is the exaltation of the heavenly Jerusalem, looking forward to not that which is earthly, but that which is going to be in the eternal. And so uh, we're going to uh, sing this now and play. What I want you to do, the congregation on the chorus, that if everyone join on the chorus, the words will be uh, behind me on the screen. And if you know the tune, you can sing along with that. And we trust the Lord will uh, bless that as we worship together. Last night I lay a-sleeping, there came a dream so fair. I stood in old Jerusalem, behind the temple there. I heard the children singing, and ever as they sang, Methought the voice of angels from heaven in answer rang. Methought the voice of angels from heaven in answer rang. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. As the shadow of a cross arose on a lonely hill, as the shadow of a cross arose upon a lonely hill, Jerusalem,
And once again the scene was changed. There's earth there seemed to be. I saw the holy city beside the tideless sea. The light of God was on its streets. The gates were opened wide. And all who would might enter and no one was denied. No need of stars to shine by night or sun to shine by day. It was the new Jerusalem that would not pass away. It was the new Jerusalem that would not pass away. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, lift up your Thank you very much, folks. That was tremendous. We appreciate so much the contribution. We're thankful for our brother Alan, who's also joined us today with his trombone to be able to share with us in the glory of the Lord and to give praises unto his great name. We're very, very thankful for that. We're going to sing again, please. Um, well, actually, no, we'll go right to the devotional message and then we'll close off with our, our final hymn, Joy to the world. But I want to share with you just a couple of thoughts today from the Gospel of Matthew. I ask you to turn there, please, to chapter 1. Matthew's Gospel, I said chapter 1, but it's chapter 2 we're going to be reading from. Verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king... Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. 
When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. The Lord bless His Word to us. Let's bow, please, for prayer. Father, we lift our hearts again in great praise to the One who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We're thankful, Lord, there is no shadow of turning with our God. And today, as we take this time to rejoice and to lift our hearts in thanksgiving and worship and praise, we pray that the Scriptures and the Word would again be impressed upon our minds, that, Lord, we would know Your nearness and help. Dear Father, open our hearts today. Give help and strength to present the truth. And if there is some soul here watching online today, Father, work effectually, powerfully in their hearts and bring them to Jesus in faith and repentance. Hear our prayer now. Bless us, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think with me uh, for a moment, uh, verse 11, chapter 2. It says, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They worshipped him. And that's what I want us to think about today, just in the closing time of our service. 
The Lord would write His Word upon her heart. Many of us here know well the the details, the accounts of the birth of Christ, almost like the back of our hand. We have heard it from our youngest years. And the account given to us in the Scriptures, and certainly in Matthew chapter 2, it's part of a flowing historical narrative. It gives to us the account and includes details that if this account was bogus, if this was a myth or fairy tale, the details that are given, the accuracy of them, the place names, the people who are involved, they would be found out to be fictitious. But as science continues on and archaeology, more and more is discovered that proves places and names of people that were once marginalized, discarded as being untrue and part of folklore, part of the the Bible story that is myth and legend. But such an inclusion in this historical narrative of these strangers from a foreign country, an eastern empire, that would come testifying they have seen something that directed them to Israel. They were in search for a king, but not just any king, not someone who was ordinary. There was something unique about this, and as they came, they presented their request and their search. Even those who would discard or at least be somewhat skeptical of the account in the Bible These details that are included, not just here in Matthew 2, but you look through the Scriptures and you will find that there are peculiar details. There are names and dates and places that continue to be validated by historical evidence that the skeptic and the liberal theologian and those who deny the Bible, well, they have to hang their head in shame because God is more and more revealing the authenticity of His own holy Word by facts and by science. But we do ask a question, who were these wise men that came? Where were they from exactly? Why would they take such a journey? Some questions we will not know the answer to here. We will have to wait until we get to heaven. The other things that are included in the Scripture, we will receive them by faith and we will believe them as being true Some commentators, they suggest that the Magi who came in seeking for the child that was born king were quite possibly from Persia, possibly part of the remnant from the days of Daniel and the other Jewish slaves that had been taken captive from Israel into Babylon, because you'll remember the testimony that Daniel had and how he exposed the soothsayers and the magicians of his day. And the word magi that we have in the original is the short form of the word that we get for magician. But these people who were coming, these wise men, where were they from? How did they know what they knew? There had to be some communication given to these men by the Hebrew Scriptures or by 
communication that had been passed down to them from the prophets, either Jeremiah or Micah, the preaching that Daniel had made in in Babylon. And don't forget, Daniel lived in the days of the Medo-Persian Empire as well. And so if it was true, these men were from that region, that area. It's not too difficult for us to realize that they were on a quest. They had known something about this. And how do we know it even more clearly? Because when they came to Herod, they didn't just ask for a king. They said, where is the king of the Jews? How did they know that? They were on a quest. They knew that God had directed them, and they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Deliverer, the Savior, the one that was to come. They were obviously men of certain state or nobility because they got an audience in the court of Herod the king. And as they came searching for another king, Herod was troubled about this. And why would Herod be troubled? Because Herod was a tyrant. Herod was an evil and a wicked man. And anyone who questioned his authority, their head would be taken off. There was no questions. And so he was a subtle, sly, sneaky character. But when he heard about the potential king of the Jews being born, he was the king of the Jews, Herod. How dare anyone else suggest that there was someone to take his place? But he was not even a Jew, Herod. He was an Edomite. He was of the children of Esau. And how he got to that place, well, part of the historical record tell us that. But these wise men, they were seeking the coordinates from heaven, and God was directing them. And when the birthplace of Bethlehem was revealed to them, they knew it was from Micah the prophet. And all the priests that were in Jerusalem, whom Herod had called to find out where was Messiah to be born, they targeted, they knew exactly where, in Bethlehem of Judea, as it was spoken in the prophet. And so, these men, they took those coordinates, followed the star further, and they came to the place where the young child was. Now, we sang a Christmas hymn this morning, and it seemed to blur through all of the shepherds were there at the manger, and the wise men, they also came to be at the manger. And most of the natal scenes, you see, you have the three wise men putting their gifts down in the manger of Bethlehem. Well, that's not biblically accurate. They weren't there at that time. In fact, it's quite possible and more realistic that they were there about two years after the birth of Christ. Because we're told that Mary and Joseph were in a house in Bethlehem when they came to where the young child was, and that word young child is different from an infant. And so, that gives us a further indication of the time. When they came, they found Mary with the child, Jesus. And we're told in verse 11 that as soon as they saw the child, they fell down and they worshipped Him. And my dear friends, I want us to think today about what that means, that these seekers for truth, these ones who are on a mission to find out the revelation that God had given to them. That is the same quest that should be in the heart of every single person 
on this globe. There should be a quest to find the Messiah, to find the promised one, to find the deliverer, the Savior of men. When they came, they fell down before him and they gave him the worship of their heart. But do you notice this? They did not fall down to worship Mary. No, she was there, but they did not acknowledge her in that way. And how distracted and sad it is when people bow down before others who are not deity, who are not God, who are not worthy of being worshipped at all. Well, tonight, this afternoon, as we think about this, I want you to consider in the first place today that these wise men acknowledged that Christ was a divine king. They were not seeking for a human being solely. They were not seeking for some leader of a material empire because they fell down and worshipped Him. The word for worship is used 60, 60 times in the New Testament. And sometimes when words are translated, you will find that they are used in different English expressions from the original Greek word. But this particular one, the word that is used in the original, is translated each time in worship or worshipped. And so, we get a very clear idea of exactly the spirit and the heart and the intention that these wise men had. They came to bow down, not before an ordinary child. They were bowing down before the one who was sent from God, but the one who was God Himself. Before their eyes, they were looking at the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and Scripture. Everything that they had read, everything they had heard, it had now come into real time for them. And they were standing, kneeling, bowing now before the Son of God, the Savior of men. And though but a child... Yet they acknowledged this was Emmanuel. This was God with us. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7 and 14. That the virgin will be with child and His name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. They were in the presence of the King now. And they took off their own praises, and they bowed before Him, and they worshipped Him as divine, as the King of kings. And they presented to Him gold. Gold in the Bible is the metal of royalty, but it is also the metal of divinity. And the evidence of this is given in the building of the tabernacle because the Ark of the Covenant was made of wood. It was made of shittim wood, and it was overlaid with gold all around and on the top. 
and the perfect illustration of the Ark of the Covenant is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ in His humanity, the wooden, but in His deity, the gold. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, Christ possessed the law of God and kept it perfectly. And so, my dear friends, when we think of the the Word of the Lord and the indication from the Bible, these men, as they brought their gifts, they acknowledged without mistake, without accident, they were bringing gold to worship the Son of God. Christ was born of a woman. He took the seed of the woman, not the seed of a man. And when the Word was made flesh, God the Son humbled Himself, and He was identified with sinners when He took human nature into Himself and to Himself. He was bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh, and He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities in all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin, our sinless Redeemer. And for these wise men to worship the child Jesus, they were making a confession of faith. It was their faith they were speaking of just then. It was very clear. This is God in human flesh. Is that not the full duty of every human being to acknowledge that God has made Himself known and revealed Himself in human flesh? The God-man, Christ Jesus the Lord. I wonder, is this in our hearts today to offer worship unto Him with all of our being? Is it in our hearts today to reverence the Son of God with such a spirit? I pray, dear friends, it is. And I wonder if you today know Him as your Lord. Do you know Him as your personal Savior? Are you watching this service online today? Is Christ belong to you? Do you know Him as your own? I pray that you will come with all your heart and bow down and worship Him as these men did so many years ago. But the second thought is that they worshipped Him as Messiah. They brought frankincense to Him. This substance, frankincense, it's made from a resin or sap from a local tree in the Middle East. And it was used in the Bible as a compound of perfume to be offered on the altar sending up a sweet fragrance of worship unto God. And this is contained in Exodus chapter 30. It was a special compound, and frankincense was a a main component of that compound, and it was not to be used for any other purpose apart from the worship of God. And so here are these men. They come with this gift. Why did they bring frankincense? How did they know to do that? Oh, the Spirit was directing them. 
And they brought this substance that so symbolized worship unto the living God, and they gave that unto the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 1, frankincense was part of the meal offering. And further in Leviticus, it appears in other offerings as well. And so when the Magi brought this gift to Christ, they were signifying their adoration and their worship for Him, the newborn King. And likewise, friends, we are all called to give our worship unto the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's something further in Leviticus 24 and verse 7. It speaks of pure frankincense. And pure frankincense was used in worship, and likewise, it was not to be mingled at that time with anything else. And so, in that sense, we are not to mingle our worship to the Lord with things of the world. That's not always easy, you know. It's not easy because we are of the world. It's not easy because we are human beings and our whole operation is temporal. And it's difficult for us to separate, to categorize, but it certainly must be the quest of every believer truly wanting to worship God that we do not mingle the pure frankincense of our worship with the other elements of the world. Let us be careful about that. Be mindful, be watchful, careful in our own private devotions and certainly in our half-hearted worship at times. It's a sad thing. You know, we look back over this year, I'm sure you do, I do, reflecting on how things have gone, where we have come from. Surely there are elements of regret. There are aspects when we look at our own approach to the Lord and we can see deficiencies. We see where we have not come up to the mark where we would desire to be for the Lord's honor. And so what are we to do in a situation like that? We are to look carefully and we are to come in humble and open repentance to the Lord and we are to bring our praise to Him and our desire and our prayer that we will not be half-hearted, not be lacking in zeal, but setting ourselves to offer the pure frankincense of our worship unto God. And we need the help of the Spirit to do this. We can't do it by ourselves. We don't want our worship to be only given part of it, half-hearted, but we want it to be wholehearted unto the Lord. And so they acknowledged that this king was divine. They acknowledged that they were worshiping the Messiah. And thirdly, they worshiped him as their redeemer. How do we know that? Well, the hint is given to us in the substance of myrrh that they brought. Back in Ezekiel 30, pardon me, uh, Exodus 30 again, it tells us that pure myrrh it was a main component of the holy anointing oil that was for Aaron and his sons and the priests. It was, in a sense, ordination oil committing them to the work 
but it was also given to them at significant times as they were engaging in the service of God. And so in that sense, these wise men coming to the child Jesus were worshiping Him as their Redeemer because myrrh was given to anoint the priests for their work of redemption, their work of atoning, their work to appear before God on the behalf of men. They were representing men to God. And so, our Savior, the mediator between God and men, the great Redeemer, is the one who has represented us before our Lord. But it's also a main element used to anoint the dead. We find that in John chapter 19. Nicodemus, he had the body of Jesus after he had been crucified. And we're told that he came with a hundred weight of myrrh to anoint the body of Jesus. And so it was this gift given to the baby in Bethlehem. It was the gift given because the anointing of His body was an anointing unto death as our Redeemer. And all these things, these components, these gifts that were presented, ah, friends, they are so loud in their communication of truth. They are so specific as how they related. Nothing is done by accident in the Scripture. It is done with the purpose of showing us the way, of pointing us to the Lamb, our great High Priest, who would bear away our sins. We say with the hymn writer, don't we? Oh, what a Savior that He died for me. From condemnation He hath made me free. And the final thought is that all of their worship combined together, were they just doing this out of an obligation, out of rote? No, I say to you, they were doing this as an act of faithful obedience to their heavenly calling. We don't know exactly how the information was communicated to them, but they were not disobedient to that voice to that direction that they, they had. They walked by faith in the light that they had received from God. They came to meet the King one way, and they left from the King a different way. And going a different way, they, they were in many respects different men. They would never be the same again. They had seen the King. They had seen the, the Christ of God. And now they were going back to their place. What would their message be? You can be sure. They would preach the message, the Christ child has been born, the Savior has come. And they would spread that as far and wide as they could to whosoever would believe and who would receive. Ah, friends, in conclusion today, as we think on these things, they made a personal contact with Christ. And I know that most of you here have made that personal contact with Christ. You have come to know Him by faith as your own. And you have believed in Him. And you are changed as a result of that. 
And they worshipped Him as Savior, as Lord, and as King. Sometimes, friends, we find the sad tale of folks who make a profession of faith when they maybe were younger, or maybe they made an emotional profession of their faith. And then it seems that as years pass, it doesn't materialize into anything. They worship the Lord perhaps at a time as a Savior, but have they worshipped Him today as their Lord? You see, when Christ is the Lord of our life, it's going to impact how we live. It's going to impact what we do and where we go and how we behave. Because if we think, oh yes, I'm saved. I can remember back so many years ago, I trusted the Lord. But the life is no different. As a matter of fact, the life is full of the world today. And ungodly things, there is no reality in the testimony. And Christ is not really the Lord of the life. He is not the King of the life. Oh, but not for these men. No, they knew. He was their Savior. He was their Lord. And He was their King. Ah, and then, how did that reflect in what they believed by faith? Well, they offered their gifts of love and of thanksgiving. Is that not what we do? Is that not what we can do? We give our, our gifts, our love offerings to the Lord, our tithes. And when we give to Him, we're not giving per se to a church. We're not giving per se to an organization. But ultimately, our tithes and our offerings, if we believe they are going in a faithful cause, we are giving them unto the Lord. And that's our heart. And that's what we want to do. What can we give of ourselves, friends? As we draw the curtains over another year and the end of 2022 is upon us, what have we given unto the Lord this year? Is there more that we can give? Can we aspire and say, in the new year, I want, O oh God, my life to make a difference for You? I want to make a difference in this congregation. I want to make a difference in my society, among my neighbors and friends, people I work with. I want them to know I am a follower of Christ and that He is my Lord and my King. And so we will give of ourselves, and by God's grace, He will take of our meager offerings. That's so often what they are. But He will take and receive from us, that His name might be lifted up and that He might be glorified in all. May God bless His word.